1: My pappy said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. Back one more time in 2021 to review some of the biggest plot lines of this season. We also uh, take a look again at the next gen car and some of the implications this year. And we look back at some people that the racing community has lost very recently this year. As we wrap things up, this is five to go. Rod Lincoln. You. All right, strap in here. We're in the vapors, the final stretch run of this calendar year. And although I don't hear people cursing it the same way as they did 2020, certainly 2021 is gonna have another COVID asterisk vibe, especially how the year's ending. Doug Turnbull. Uh, From the traffic team at 95.5 WSB and the pit road reporting team and announcing team at PRN, I'm your host here, a co-host, in fact, and welcome to the 5 to Go Racing Podcast where we dive deep on a few storylines every episode here in mostly the NASCAR world, but certainly the racing world. Eric Von Hessler normally joins us. He is away for the final two weeks of the year, and we'll get him back in the saddle when we fire up again in 2022, but joining us from his... Big time estate in Dawsonville, where he's been working through this NASCAR offseason, getting people's hot rods up and running, especially the transmissions. Dan Elliott, how you doing, sir?
2: Doing great. Hope everybody is doing the same and staying safe and um, and had a awesome Christmas anyway.
1: Hey, I hope you had a great one, too. Did you Because of what's been going on, Dan, were you all able to get together uh, up in the Elliott household, or... Did you stay, stay kind of separate, or what happened?
2: Well, everybody's kind of staying a little bit separate. It's uh, it's a time right now. You just just got to be cautious and um, trying to lay low.
1: We, we had a bit of a scare in our household as well. We had to qu- quarantine for a couple of days at the beginning of last week until we knew we were testing negative, but... We were able to keep things kind of small and chill for most of the time there, and we're never at a huge gathering anyway, so that, that's that been good for us, but I needed the rest. I was off last week. I wanted to try to get a podcast in before Christmas, but being off work last week and jammed up the week before, suddenly here we are. It's the end of the year, and uh, what I want to do, Dan, is uh, first off, I want to wish everybody that listens in Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Joyful Kwanzaa, and, and Happy New Year ahead of you as well, because... Well, We're definitely uh, hoping to turn a new page and get some of the bad jujus behind us that have plagued us the last couple of years. But, Dan, we can't ignore the fact that with the virus numbers going up at Daytona less than two months away, the big uh, bush clash at the L.A. Coliseum, construction's already begun out there. That That's at the, right in the heart of February, so even closer. And I know the industry, they have a little bit of nerves, Dan, because COVID numbers are up and the number of next-gen race cars built – is uh, not up (laughs) so there's you got those things hovering around the shops and i wonder dan is i know you talk to people in the industry i I wonder if they're nervous too about people getting locked out of work because of some of the virus stuff and then the supply chain and then not having enough cars and not having a final rule book
2: you know from everyone i've talked to so far that seems to be the major concern is the fact that not enough not enough parts Not enough cars together, not enough testing. There are so many not enough right now that that it does make you a bit concerned on what you're going to see. I think that's going to be the big big story or the storyline going into Daytona is what are we in store for? What are we going to see? What do people think? What do people close to the industry think? Because. I believe that that the storyline has definitely not been written yet on what we're going to see coming out of Daytona.
1: Part of me, the entertainment guy, likes the excitement of having all these unknowns. And it would be, even if this was all buttoned up, we'd still have big unknowns how these cars race together and how they progress over a season. But to me, as stressful as it is for the people in the industry, I think, man, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see if teams really have car shortages and and what rabbits they have to pull out of their hats to make it go, of course, that doesn't provide the best show If teams are having to, well, one of the predictions I've heard, Dan, is that they're going to go to Daytona and especially the preliminary laps before the 500, when you're talking about your practice sessions and your, your duels and the, and the, and all that stuff. And even the Bush clash at the LA Coliseum, the part of the, what I've heard is that the are a theory I've heard, I guess, is that they're going to race conservatively because if you wad up three cars in Daytona, that might be 60% of what that one race team has allotted. So you, you want to have a better show, for sure, and, and you want them to go racing hard as much as possible uh, with the supply chain stuff, but also they just don't have things finalized, right? So here's the deal, and and I'm not going to break down each test because they all kind of run together, but they have raced or tested, rather, multiple times at Charlotte Motor Speedway on the mile-and-a-half track there trying different packages, and battling several problems. If you were following social media or watching the racing shows or anything over the last uh, week or two weeks, you saw, for instance, Tyler Reddick uh, – rather infamously had three big spins and two big crashes I think it was in the test as he tried to get a handle on what the limits were on the car but the big headline for me Dan out of that is after all this talk about the 550 package staying on the mile and a half tracks NASCAR announced right before Christmas they wrapped it up with a big bow and handed it to you Dan that they're going to run with 670 horsepower comparable to what the Xfinity series runs and a really short spoiler they're trying to finalize the spoiler but the 670 package they're going to run at most racetracks, saving the 550 for Daytona and Talladega and possibly Atlanta, pending the newly paved Atlanta Motor Speedway and reconfigured test there. So what did you think about them upping the horsepower on this new car?
2: You know, it could be another one of those, these things. And I, and I said earlier in the year that that we have not seen the final rules. And that's what bothers me the most is we have not seen the finalized set of rules before they go to daytona even to me they they might have most of this set in stone but until you end up in the line at daytona going going through inspection and everything is set uh nothing to me is finalized until that point in time so what i expect to see is what i thought earlier in the season and that being Were the new packages, did they not have enough time to do ample testing with the new packages? Did something change in the process of packages, even if they were similar, or did the teams get together and say, we're not ready for this. We do not have enough parts and components to make the changes, even if it was with a minor amount of parts, did they have sufficient time to get everything in place and i say no because you're you're in such a a state of not knowing right now because the three words seem to be on on everybody's tongue right now is, i don't know because trying well, to get all the cars together trying to get all the engines together personnel you know you've got to make sure that your personnel stay healthy right now
1: well, true, and yeah. How many of them do you want hanging out with each other, and how much can you really control that? And the off season, people are going to go see families, and then it's a matter of, you know, do you report it? If you just have a little stuffy nose, do you do you go get tested or not? Right, and that that's, that that opens up a whole can of worms there. Probably teams are going to try to be as competitive as possible, and, and and while still being safe, and maybe it's one of those don't ask, don't tell type situations, but then that can lead to a lot worse problems. So, hey, I, but you mentioned something there. As we don't know what the the final rules are going to be, there have been various testing sessions. There is one scheduled tentatively for next week at Atlanta Motor Speedway. The track has been just finished right before Christmas. Added, if you if you remember, more banking being added in the turns and a narrower racing line. So it, it the idea is for it to potentially race closer to a Daytona and Talladega. More th- rather than how it's raced in the past, with, which is more Darlington-esque with the multiple lines there managing tire wear. And, of course, tire wear is going to be totally different with it being new pavement. But with that test coming next week, there's going to be at least a Phoenix test coming after that. And, Dan, they still haven't really gotten to race for very long in traffic because of the incidents I mentioned before during the test sessions. And when they had the second-to-last Charlotte test, There were big-time complaints, Dan, about how these cars handled in traffic. There were big-time complaints about that. There also, though, were uh, when they came back for the second time and they upped the horsepower and trimmed down the spoiler, they talked about how hard the cars are to drive, and it seemed to be in a positive way that they meant that. So there's this fine line because, Dan, if they're too hard to drive, then you can't go and just race as hard as you want to. But then if it's too easy to drive, it's, it could be hard to pass. So it, it, they're still trying to find the sweet spot and enough parts to do it, too.
2: Yeah, and the driver's meeting when you get to Daytona, if I'm the, uh, if I'm the, if I'm the owner, uh, let's say I'm Rick Hendrick, my meeting right before race time is going to be, guys, we don't have enough cars in the shop to go tearing up a bunch of race cars here at Daytona the first race of the season uh y'all be careful and i don't mm-hmm. see any of y'all mixing it up until we get down to the final lap laps of the race
1: it, last year uh, among others and there are there are multiple others but eric Almirola and alex bummer were in that big wreck on like lap 13 or something really early and last year's daytona 500 it red flagged the race and then it rained it got pushed tonight and all that and it's like if you're going to tear up a car Can we not wait? (laughs) Can we not do it while we're going for the win like the Penske guys did? (laughs) (laughs) Do we we need to do that on lap 13? Although I guess, Dan, you have more time to rebuild it. Now, here's the good news with the next-gen car. Of course, if you completely wad it up, there is a point where you start over. But Austin Dillon wrecked extremely hard at one of the Charlotte tests. They had that car fixed and taking laps 10 hours later. Yeah, there's a West yeah, Coast I think, swing the damage,
2: I think the damage on that thing was not as severe as what it appeared to be. I think that um, if that's the one with the water barrels there, entrance to Pitt
1: Road. Uh, that um, was I, that was Tyler Reddick, uh, uh, which – Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, the, his did have less damage there. But, I mean, Austin Dillon, uh, I, he, uh, there was moisture on the racetrack, and they went out to test, and they didn't have it all the way dry. I was like morning dew, and he just spun out. And he I think he hit – Nose first to the inside wall, if I'm not mistaken. But it was tore up, and I mean, I heard other drivers talk about it and say it was. I mean, that was a bad wreck, and and they had it fixed within 10 hours at back back ready to make competitive laps. You know that 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 could be a positive for this next gen car is that when you're not prefabbing all the pieces, that if you have a few extra, you know, front ends and rear ends laying around, you can bolt it right back together potentially.
2: Yeah. So. Well, it's definitely going to be interesting to see and. I'd hate to, I'd hate to hang my hat on the fact that hey, if you do damage to this car, it's a lot easier to fix. So that's one of the benefits of having the Gen Seven car.
1: Well, I think that I think that's being advertised as one of the benefits is you know they're still going to have to take backup cars to the racetrack, but you could also yeah. have backup sections of car to put on your first one. You may not have to go potentially. I mean, this is me. Spitballing here they you may have to go to a backup less times than in the past because instead of just saying eh, garbage load it up put it in the top of the hauler get the old get the get the backup car out maybe you elect to well let's see we've got tomorrow's the race and we've got this amount of hours to work on it maybe if we just need to fix the front end maybe we could do that it, it, before with the old car or with previous versions of the car you just you pretty much you get one ding in the car and it's done right so I, I, I well, think they're maybe using that to, as a selling maybe point. Maybe you
2: need to go back and get some of the crew chiefs from way back here's past, because back when we did not have backup cars, you had to fix the cars you had.
1: Uh, and look, I, I think that would be much more fun to see, honestly, you know, and, and probably put on a better show. Hey, speaking of crew, I'm going to really stretch here. Uh, Dale Inman, of course, still involved in the brain trust and what is now called, this has happened since we last taught, Petty GMS Racing, so Richard Petty Motorsports and GMS Racing have combined forces. Uh, the Maury Gallagher's team has bought the majority interest in RPM, so it's really GMS Motorsports, but they're, or GMS Racing, I should say, but they're leaving the Petty name on it there, so that'll still be the number 43 of Eric Jones and then the 94 of Ty Dillon, who now has a charter. So that's happened since we've last spoken. There been some other silly season moves as well. Landon Castle's been added to Colleague Racing in the Xfinity Series. And, and just several others, uh, that Todd Gilliland's going full-time cup racing with Front Row Motorsports, joining Michael McDowell, and, and we're not going to cover every single one of those here, but there have been moves being made, and still a lot to be determined as well, especially in the, uh, really in the lower series, Ryan Newman, Matt Benedetto, they remain unsigned free agents out there, uh, and, and kind of surprised, Dan, that Matty D hasn't landed at like at least a mid-tier Xfinity team, but the the seats have kind of closed up there, and I, I guess he doesn't have the funding. But I want to jump into that's kind of looking ahead. Still, I want to jump into looking back on 2021, and this was a season with big time changes in the schedules. If you look at it, the, the was it seven road course races of the Cup Series? You have a Bristol dirt race thrown in there. The trucks raced at Knoxville Raceway or at, at uh, there in Iowa, and, and so there was a lot to look forward to. And and we can't – we're not going to sit here and review every single thing, Dan, but I wanted to do is first pick out a driver of the year for the Cup, Xfinity, and Truck Series. So, uh, Dan, I'll let you go first on all of these, and we're we're allowed to vote the same. But I'd like to hear who you choose as your driver of the year in the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series.
2: In the 2021, I've got to go – excuse me with Kyle Larson because, too – You don't say start out the season as he did sort of kind of behind eight ball because he was out for a number of races and then came in and did not look like he was going to do anything great at the beginning of the season and then turn that around before mid season and then have the season that he ended up with and walk away with a championship. My vote has to go to him.
1: Uh, for sure, 10 wins, 26. Actually, it's kind of interesting to me that he had 20 top fives and then only six other top tens besides that. So when he wasn't finishing at the top five, usually he was uh, doing something else. He had, and he did not have the best average finish of the Cup Series either. But he had 10 wins, 20 top fives, 26 top tens, and 36 races there. He led just a mind-numbing 2,581 laps with an average finish of 9.1 the only driver with a better average finish than him, Dan, believe it or not, was Denny Hamlin. Even though he only had two wins, ha- Hamlin was a little bit more consistent there, finishing with an average of 8.4. I've got to g- agree with you. Our 2021 Cup Series champ, Kyle Larson, would have been the driver of the year, whether or not he'd had that good pit stop at the end of the championship four Phoenix race, right? So uh, to me, Larson gets that hands down. And I don't even really know who to pick second, all right? Because <laughs> although Truex Jr., was tied with Alex Bowman for second most wins with four. You can make a good case for Denny Hamlin. Uh, You can make a case for the consistency of Chase Elliott, though I think a driver that was on the more disappointment side could be argued as Chase Elliott as well. So uh, Kyle Larson, 2021 Cup Series Driver of the Year. Now to the Xfinity Series, where Daniel Hemrick got his first career win And all of his NASCAR starts in any series by winning the championship for Phoenix race and the Xfinity cars and the number 18 for Joe Gibbs Racing. So uh, who is your Xfinity driver of the year, Dan?
2: You know, that would have to be, Daniel has been my favorite for a long, long time. And seeing him run, I know we had a lot of the drivers that ran at Gresham, but he impressed me more than a lot that I've seen run there. And the fact that it seemed like if anything was going to stand in the way of him and, and somewhat greatness, I'll say here with, with due respect is, is just seems like anything that could go wrong, went wrong to hamper him from being where I felt like he was deserving to be.
1: For sure. So you so you have he's your vote not just as your favorite in your heart, but as the driver of the year in the Xfinity, correct?
2: Correct. Yes, that is correct.
1: Mm-hmm. And and he actually was really consistent despite having those near misses there. Every race that he finished, which was 31 out of 33, he finished on the lead lap. So even the races where the tire went down toward the end or bad pit stop, cycle back and a restart, he still managed to finish those on the lead lap. And he had the sixth-best average finish. He did only have one win, but 15 top fives. That was fourth most in the series. And, of course, the championship there. Now, to me, picking a driver of the year in the Xfinity Series is tough because you can go with ultra-consistency, like Daniel Hemrick, or you can go with just the machine, Austin Cedric. Five wins, 26 top tens, best average finish of 8.2. You can go with A.J. Allmendinger, who I don't think – was expected to be as successful as he was, maybe contend for the championship, and he was in the championship four. He had five wins, 22 top ten finishes there, and an average finish of 9.2. But one thing that speaks to Henry, Dan, is the number of laps he led was second most in the series, 663. Austin Cindric almost doubled that, 1,150 laps led there. So he really just had a dominant year, frankly. By all stat categories, should have been the champion. But I don't know that I, I could go with the 22 because I, I didn't see a full season from Ty Gibbs, the 18-year-old who won in just his first career series start. 18 years old, four wins this season and 10 top 10s total. He also managed to uh, go and lead 244 laps, which is a lot more than a lot of full-time drivers, although significantly less than some of the other championship contenders. <laughs> Sedan, is it unfair? I think if Austin Sindrick got driver of the year and the championship last season in 2020, I'm going to go with Ty Gibbs.
2: Well, I think it's a good choice. I think any of those would be good choices, but... um, it, uh, it it made for a great season and uh, made for an exciting season.
1: Got to say, too, big rally for Noah Gregson, who is in the big-time doldrums mid season, but he rallied back to win a couple of times, three wins, and got it up to 20 top-10 finishes. And Justin Allgaier should have been likely in the championship four. Maybe, I mean, statistically, instead of Hemrick in some cases with his 24 top-10s and a couple of wins there, but Hemrick is the one that takes the title. Now, to the truck series, and I think there's a lot of parody in the truck series there, so it's hard to split hairs, Dan. But who do you have as your pick for the driver of the year? And I'll refresh your memory because it was Ben Rhodes who was the champion. He made a late pass of Zane Smith and Sheldon Creed there at Phoenix to actually take it, and he didn't even win that final championship race there at Phoenix International or Phoenix Speedway, but Ben Rhodes became the champion and you you had uh, Zane Smith of the championship four. Uh, Matt Crafton was in the championship four, and John Hunter Nemechek with his five wins was also in the champ four. Uh, some other drivers of multiple wins include the Georgia drivers, Chandler Smith and Austin Hill, who were eliminated earlier in the playoffs. So any picks for driver of the year in the truck series?
2: You know, Doug, I did not get to see as many of the races in the truck series. And, and I know that, that, in years past, that would have been the series I would have probably followed the most. But with the with the way the championship ended up in Cup, I, I ended up following it more closely, and then some of the F one races. So I did not follow the truck as much, and I really don't have an educated pick on who is to me the most deserving out of the drivers in the Cup Series. I mean, excuse me, in the Cup Series.
1: I, I've got to go. I, I'm not going to go with Ben Rhodes. His first two wins, he was on track. I mean, he won the Daytona big race to start of the year and then the road course race, race number two. But I, I'm not picking him even though he won the championship and even though I think he's finally landed to where he's impressive and he, and he was consistent all year, 9.3 average finish. I've got to go with John Hunter Nemechek because he won five times. And that's two more wins than anybody else. And and I think yeah he was almost eliminated there was able to to be gutsy and drive back to get into the championship four so I'm I'm gonna give it to John Hunter Nemechek but it, it was almost like he was playing you know big big leagues and the little leagues there in a way because just with the the best team and a driver with cup experience coming down and just whooping on the kids pretty much is what it looked like there. Uh, But but to me, it came down to between Nemechek and Rhodes. You can make an argument for Sheldon Creed as well, but Creed was woefully inconsistent this season there with a low top 10 number and only a 13.8 average finish, but he did squeeze out three wins. So my vote is John Hunter Nemechek, who, by the way, returns to the Truck Series next season. And the Truck Series is going to look a lot different with with GMS racing downsizing big time since they're going cup racing and uh, like Zane Smith's going to front row motorsports in the truck series. The t- two other GMS drivers, Chase Purdy and Tyler Ankrum, are going to the Hattori racing team, which sees Austin Hill departing for the Xfinity series. Ben Rhodes, though, is returning to ThorSport Sport and to defend his title. So my vote, John Hunter Nemechek and Dan's vote. Uh, he didn't see enough of them, but You know, he's voting for his heart, so he's voting Daniel Hemerick. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, that's okay. (laughs) All right. All right, so we've told some positive stuff here, but I want to look now at what the biggest dud in 2021 in all three of NASCAR's top series is to you, Dan. The biggest dud, that could be story, race, uh, uh, you know, any kind of race, a driver, um, you know, anything tv coverage uh the, this podcast i don't know now what <laughs> what do you think is something that you thought was going to do better
2: well i got to say that I, I was not disappointed in in most all three of the series and i'm uh, and, and i'm not trying to do a cop out it's just the fact that you just wish this virus mess would go away so you could get back into some normalcy of what i consider normal as far as practice qualifying and racing and the crowds and so forth and i know that you had a lot of that that came back during the year but now you're back in another scare so to speak again where we don't know what to look for going into daytona and isn't it odd that you're about the same time frame from a year ago
1: It really is odd. I mean, the the big difference, of course, is you got more people vaccinated. It's a milder strain spreading around. But to think we've done all this, all the protocols, and then we've rolled them back. And then what do we have coming for 2022? NASCAR did a great job in 2020 of getting back on the racetrack and back playing before a lot of other, really almost every sport did. It, it could this be something where you're seeing the the virus just rage through the NFL and NBA right now? You see college football bowl games getting canceled, or teams pulling out left and right. At what point does this affect a driver? Or is there a way if it's a driver that has very few symptoms and tests positive, could they still race? I mean, if they if they feel okay, could they they not touch anybody and not be around anyone? And if they're vaccinated, still race? I don't know. I mean, that's that that's gonna be really tough And NASCAR. We've seen the Delta variant come back in the middle of last season, and really the protocols for the sport only change a little bit. So I don't know that they're going to change a lot, but it's that the fact that it's still hanging over is a big dud. I agree with you, man.
2: Yeah, it's it's the fact that that it's looming, or in 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 probably the best words is it's lurking. And as long as it's lurking, we don't know exactly what to expect. And I think that was the biggest thing about 2021 that no one had any control over and no one knows what it's going to mean for 2022 in a lot of ways because it's affected the gen six car i mean excuse me the gen seven car well it affected the six but it's really going to affect the seven but how you come in and and you don't know what it's going to do as far as the teams are concerned because you and i both know that that racing's not going to be immune to it uh, neither is any other sport, whether it be baseball, baseball, or football, you're, you're not going to be immune from it. And with the fact that you're coming with a new gen car adds to the questions and then different states that you travel to, you know, going to California first in the Coliseum, you know, what's that going to mean out there? I, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to affect it, but it will. And the amount of money it's taken to convert that Coliseum. I I saw an article that was a million bucks to, to to set the stage for that race out there. Okay. So will the TV money cover all of that? Or are we looking to have a lot of spectators there? What, uh, you know, we have more questions than we, we do answers right now, but that seems to me to be the, the, the downer to me of 2021 and the fact that as you get ready to plan for daytona how do you plan for a season not knowing how the rules are going to change you know we've got all the rule changes with the car now we're going to have the rules changing on how the media interacts how the how the grandstands may or may not be allowed to be complete capacity we don't know
1: yeah that's a great point that's a a great great point it's tough to imagine how it's going to go i mean like just one thing to use the barometer last year there was no party at times square for for new year's in uh in new york city this year there it was going to be a full house and i think they've pared it down to like 30 percent or or something like that that's a rough number but yeah what what how does that affect does it even affect NASCAR and and just knowing that uh, generally NASCAR is in states that have Republican governors and and they generally are more lax as far as protocol goes. That's, I mean, that just very general monolith I'm painting there. But that's basically something to consider going forward. And yeah, that is a big dud that we're still having to do this. I did not think by 2022, and here we are just days away from it, that we would even be discussing that. This virus should have been over with, right? Well, it still continues. So uh, let me get my big dud in here. So, go ahead, so We Dan. talked
2: about that. We talked about that during the year, toward the end of the year last year, on, on on another variant coming back and what that could do, and and now we're getting a glimpse of what again, maybe indeed, even though it should be a milder variant, but we hope and pray that it is milder and that things don't shut down. But as we look at the things going on in the world and and how things are evolving. It looks indeed like we are going to get some more shutdowns.
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, depending on where, but yeah, absolutely. So, uh, good insight from you there, Dan. Hey, my big dud. It's hard to beat that one. And and I I had an idea going in what I was going to pick, but uh, then I saw thought of something of a bigger dud. So my initial dud, and I, and I really was excited about this, and I'm sure it's going to be good longer term was going to be just the, the whole, really the two dirt races added, the Bristol dirt race and then the Knoxville dirt race for trucks. The Knoxville dirt race and trucks became an agonizing grind of a race that lasted until late at night because they just kept wrecking. <laughs> there were very few green laps run. And and then in the Bristol dirt race, would, and it wasn't NASCAR's fault necessarily, but rain and and bad conditions kept de- delaying things. The truck race got rained out, and it, and it just... And then the the cup race itself, which ended up having to run on Monday instead of Sunday because of the rain and the the surface being too tacky and and all that, the visibility problems ended up the surface got too dry. And and you know this year I think it's going to be run closer to nighttime and and different conditions, but it, it just didn't it didn't deliver as for as much hype was put around it. And that doesn't go on any one party. And I think it has the potential to be successful with some modifications. So I'm not beating up on the whole thing, but that was my initial dud vote. But then I thought, Dan, I picked, I skipped over a lower hanging fruit and the biggest dud of 2021 was Stuart Haas racing and really all of Ford, but Stuart Haas had nine time winner, Kevin Harvick in 2020, put up zero wins It had Cole Custer Performance wise, regress. Chase Briscoe had a really rocky rookie season, and Eric Almirola just had the year from hell until he became the only Stuart Haas driver to actually win a race when he took New Hampshire. And he did so honestly, actually out racing for it and not just on pit strategy, right? I, I don't mean the other ways are dishonest, but he did it organically, is the word I was looking for. Stuart Haas racing. It absolutely struggled and did not have a good Xfinity season either with Riley Herbst. So they're my biggest dud of 2021. Although it's hard to argue that COVID still being a big story is not a bigger dud than that. So there you go. So my vote you know, Stuart House Racing. Your vote, the Rona. Yeah,
2: but you get into the you get into the season as far as performance goes, and it's kind of like. Um, kind of like Kyle Daganats, if you're not first your life and it seemed like Hendrick just carried the season and I mean, as far as dominance is concerned, you, you can't deny where the dominance came in last year and are we going to see the same thing this year?
1: Yeah, it, it, tough to know. I, I, with so many unknowns, it's hard to predict that, but it's also hard to predict them regressing so much. Although I feel like I might have said that myself uh, last year about Stuart Haas racing when they had all that success. Okay, and, and c- continuing on the 2020 run reflections, the last one, and this is so, gen- so uh, macro, I guess, you could go a lot of directions here. But I just wanted to throw out what you thought, Dan, the biggest story of 2021 was, whether it's Larson just putting the whipping on everybody after sitting out a year because of uttering a racial slur, whether it's the the big shakeup in the schedule and going to Circuit of the Americas and Bristol Dirt for the first time and, and the IndyCar road course or the, or the IMS road course, uh, it, you know, it could be. The silly season, I suppose. It could be Chase Elliott versus Kevin Harvick, right? It could be Brad Keselowski becoming a part of Roush Fenway. What What do you think? And and I'm skipping over some things, of course. But what do you think the biggest story this year is? Well,
2: you, know, you had many factors that went into the biggest story, but to me, it's still the Kyle Larson and and where he was at the first of the season, and then come through and do what he did yeah uh to me was the big story in walking away with the championship because that was you know we we all shared conversation middle of the year about Hendrick coming on and whether or not they were going to be able to carry that it wasn't domination at the time, but you could see them gathering momentum as before middle of the season on. And and it wasn't just Larson that was doing that. The the whole all four drivers did extremely well, and yeah. and that's why I look at that as far as the Hendrick organization because from middle of the season on, I, you know, I said then it was going to be the Hendrick Cup, and it was it was going to be one of those things where if he didn't win it, something bad happened. That you had no control over, that was going to be the game changer, and and they carried through the whole season, and I just don't think that. I just hope that that we have a a series of teams this year to where that it's not that way, where we see uh, not domination by one organization. But we see a variety of teams that that are vying for a championship, you know, long before and and not by mid season. You're looking at this saying, well, you know, it looks like this is going to be it. But we were concerned that Hendrick was going to carry through the end of the year, but they carried through in fine form.
1: Well, for sure. And I was thinking at some point they were going to get caught up on or the rules. They they you know, they, they had that deal after Nashville mid season where NASCAR. Pretty much came to him and they're like, you need to change the the nose or something on the car. Yeah, you know, there's a little bit of tolerance. They were maybe getting away too much with, and they changed it. And then, but they were still good. And and then they could then Larson roared back again and just, I mean, and it, on the verge of getting knocked out of the playoffs at the Roval, he was able to survive that race. Oh yeah, and win it. <laughs> yeah. And then and of win. course, th- then he goes and does what he did at the end of the season there, taking the championship when it looked like Truex was going to win. He was driving away at one point, so. Yeah, big cheers to Larson. That is a big story, although the race itself at Phoenix, I don't think, stands out as one of the greatest races or the most consequential races necessarily of the year. I, I think you could argue that the biggest like and I hate to use the word, but like clickbait story, the one that got the most people talking was not Michael McDowell winning the Daytona five hundred, although that was huge. It it happened late at night, right? I don't know that it was any one race that caused it or the return to Nashville or dirt or Coda, or anything like that. I still think the biggest overarching story that's been hanging in the background and had so many other things attached to it is the development and the stunted development of the year-delayed next-gen car. I just think it's been talked about really since the, the beginning of the 2019 season that this was in the works. And then it gets delayed because of COVID. And to have it hanging around and knowing this is in the future. And and in the meantime, you're talking package, package, package. We did a bunch on here about which which uh, trim they're running on these cars. I just feel like the next-gen car, it's not the sexiest story, but it's the one that has the most consequence that got discussed overall the most this year. And I'm hoping, Dan, and, and we're already trending a different way, but I'm hoping in 2022 we could talk a little bit about what's going on between the walls on the racetrack. And, and a little bit less about officiating calls and weather and overarching things. But considering we have a brand Doug, new race car and a lot of questions, it'll be tough.
2: Doug, do you think that this car has been, I, I know when they did the gen six car and how they did cutaways and, and, and how the cars were presented before the races where they were turned upside down and, you saw the bottom side of the car and and you knew every aspect, every nuance of what that car was going to be, as well as what it was even during the first parts of the season. And there wasn't much about it. It was dissected, it it might as well have been a a, a laboratory frog, and huh. it was dissected six ways to sundown. And that's something that even though I've tried to search out a lot of places, and there have been, there have been some places that have had some good stories and and some things that I've seen, educating me on what the new car would be. It to me though has not been um, highlighted like the Gen Six car was.
1: Hmm. Well, to me the big rollout. For the Gen Six car, that really stuck was on. I, it was my first time going to the NASCAR Media Tour in 2013, and I thought they did a pretty good job of explaining the differences there. And I'm sure there's going to be a more elementary explanation of the changes once it comes out. But I've, I feel like I've read enough stuff to where if I wanted to find out, and, and again, it depends how technical you want to get, but I feel like I've read enough stuff and seen enough graphs, and when they had the big press conference unveiling the car for each manufacturer, that was back in, what, September or October? I feel like it's been done. I don't know about a cutaway, though, but I feel like each part of the car has been at least virtually, you know, graphed out for people.
2: Yeah, but I think it's been harder for people to search out, and, and that's my point if I miss the point here, it's the fact right. that it has been harder to find information. In other words, you would you you're having to go searching for it more diligently than in years past. That's my that's my only complaint okay. about it. Is, is the fact that and this car, if if you are if you are into the technical aspects of this, this is a completely new and different car. If any time dictated. More explanation of the car and what was going on and how it differs from cars priced. All they need to do is put that cutaway of a Gen Six next to the cutaway of a Gen Seven. Yeah, and you great see point. that these cars, these cars are completely different, and therefore, even though they're still race cars and they're going to go around the track and and they're going to do just fine, the handling characteristics, the braking characteristics. The fact that we have not run a 400 mile race or 500 mile race, to my knowledge, with these things, you don't know what is going to be, uh, what the drivers are going to say about it after their first event, and and that's going to be the big story of Daytona. Is what do you think about the car? What do you you know what what do you see changing? And and then NASCAR is going to be on top of that because if there's any rule changes to be made or anything. Let's say that the driver's compartment is too warm for the drivers and, and you get into what will be the beginning of summertime. All that stuff will need to be addressed before you get into the heat of the summer.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. I'm sure there's going to be a lot. And it's going to be tough with that West Coast swing right in the middle and all these different types of tracks to really get a feel for a rhythm, I guess, of what is going to be needed there. So, yeah, good point. I just was – while you were mentioned that, I just wanted to – i went on car and driver I, I pulled up an article i googled just kind of the gen 7 car changes to see if there was a good exp- explainer because and, and what i like reading dan is instead of it being in nascar speak just to nascar fans is getting the car websites talking about it and, and, and when you and talking in real technical terms and ones that you would understand better dan about the about the new car right and so there is one on car driver however the there isn't a cutaway like you said it's more just a written explanation there so i'll post this up yeah at our five to go racing facebook page group good i thought i heard you saying well, something Andy.
2: no I, I just wish that they did have a cutaway and like i say it would you know the the when you look at a cutaway and you look at the transmission sitting there behind the engine it ain't going to be there because the transmission is now attached to the rear end and the rear of the car and and you've got a a tube or a drive shaft going down the center of the car and, and the tunnel in the car is going to be way different than what the tunnel was in previous years. So you, you've got to change in the fact that you've got as, as everybody knows now, the one lug nut, but but do they know how the wheel lines up on the pins before the before you, you put that one lug nut on, you know? Uh, what drives that wheel, does that one lug nut hold everything? No, it doesn't. It's got to have drive pins that you line up on that the wheel has to line up on. So uh, a a lot of things will change. And then, you know, to me is what are they doing as far as to get the horsepower where they want it? How are they achieving this? Are they doing yeah. it by compression? Are they doing it by a uh, a throat size in the intake manifold? Is it done by the uh, by the throttle body or you know through the injection part of it? How are they doing
1: this? That's a great point. Yeah, and, and those are questions I I certainly would like to know the answers to, even though to me it's vague just because of my mechanical knowledge is nowhere not even one 100th probably what it is of yours. So those are good things to ask there about the Gen 7 car. So I'm posting a link to the car driver article in uh, our 5 to Go Racing Facebook page there just to run down the specs again. And some of you listening have already read things like this before. But to answer Dan's question, yeah, I I don't know of a good side-by-side cutout comparison. I'd have to do some uh, deeper digging there. That's the word. All right. Hey, before we sign off here, Dan, and we're getting ready for the new year, we did have one title get decided since our last episode on December 8th, and that was in Formula One. And I know you, you don't follow that closely necessarily, but there was a it, it came down at rightfully so to the two title contenders entering the Abu Dhabi race tied in the points, and then it, and then Lewis Hamilton running away with it until a crash right short of the end with about seven or eight laps to go. Nicholas Latifi from the Williams team wrecked. And it stacked them all up again. Max Verstappen goes in to get tires. Lewis Hamilton does not. And the caution or the yellow flag or safety car, as they call it, continues on. And they eventually allow some lap cars, five in total, instead of lining up behind Lewis Hamilton to cycle around past him and get back on the lead lap. And they allowed Verstappen and Hamilton to restart next to each other. And Verstappen bested Hamilton on a one-lap shootout to end the season. So one hand, Dan... I'm like, well yeah, I want the top two guys to have one lap to decide it all for the for the year. But on the other hand, the fact that there were so much so many judgment calls made and I don't have much insight other than what other people's outrage is. Because I'm not as familiar with F1 rules, but a lot of people thought that that call was was kind of pulled out of the back pocket there instead of being understood what exactly was going to happen. And that that allowed Verstappen to line up right behind Hamilton's tires on the restart and get going. So did, did you have any insight into that and, and sort of an overall view, I guess, of, of how this affects other motorsports or what it shows?
2: Well, I think it comes down to me. It says it's more about the show than it is about the the true performance, or the the truest performance of the sport, because you you know if you keep manipulating with this, why are we doing what we're doing? Um, we might as well give everybody a trophy as you are beginning to do in the in the smallest of sports. But let's just give a pers- particip- participation trophy. And be done with it and um but it it seems to be more about the show you know kind of like the movie Ford versus Ferrari where you get down and and you stage it to where all all the cars are together and and that's the way they finish and i don't I don't want that i I want it to be whatever the competition is you see the best perform the best and and however however kind of fate plays with it so it plays with it but but still, that is the true part of it. That that's just the way it it shakes out. It's, as as um, as we read in the Bible, you know, life ain't always fair.
1: No, well, it's it certainly. There were times this year where it seemed like a lot of things leaned Hamilton's way, and other times Verstappen's. There was this big, yeah. just you know, team versus team battle: Red Bull versus Mercedes. And Hamilton seemed like an underdog at times, even though he's the winningest driver in Formula One history and tied for the most championships. But at the the, the, the end of the season, with an engine change, he certainly had more speed, at least at certain times. And he and Hamilton, to me, I just keep going back to, even if Hamilton had run away with the race, you couldn't ask for more than the top two drivers were the top two finishers. They entered the race tied in points and on and on and on. To me, you could not ask for more, despite whatever happened to the finish there, it seemed like Hamilton deserved to win the race more than Verstappen did. But on the other hand, they both were deserving champions this year. It's not like a far back champion, you know, somebody that was many points down, you know, and led no laps in the race, snuck around and won the race. I mean, it came down to truly who the champion should be. Same could be argued, by the way, for the Cup Series where Larson was not going to win that race without a late yellow and a quick pit stop. And he got both. And he capitalized, and he should have. He was the deserving champion of the Cup Series based on his stats. But if Truex had won the championship with his four wins, I don't know that I'd be crying in a thimble about that. I mean, it's it, it is what it is. That's championship racing. So at least in NASCAR, That's exactly but, right.
2: That yeah. that is that is the way it is. And you're not uh, you're not tampering with the outcomes. You're trying to do it to where that you just leave it and let them race it and may the best man win.
1: Right, for sure. Well, there you go. That caps the F1 season, and that's going to cap our 2021 here on the 5 to Go Racing Podcast. We're very thankful for all of you. I do want to mention, and I'm doing this a bit haphazardly, Dan, but before we go, uh, this isn't an end-of-the-year obituary type thing where I'm going all the way back. It's literally just since we've last recorded or just in the last few weeks. there, There have been several people in the racing community that have passed away, and I'm going to start with the one... Closest to me because I knew him well. In fact, it was him missing a race that that got me my first shot on PRN. Uh, Steve Richards spent decades in motorsports, and although his, his the biggest years are behind him and he was really only on a limited time basis, he still did some work with the Performance Racing Network. He was at the championship race in Phoenix when he first was starting to feel a little bit ill. He eventually, in early December, ended up in the hospital and unfortunately, right before Christmas, passed away from the COVID-19 virus. So uh, rest in peace, Steve Richards. The Earnhardt family dealt two big uh, losses and uh, and over the last few weeks. You had Danny Earnhardt a couple of weeks ago pass away pretty suddenly there. That was Dale Sr.'s brother. And then their mom, Martha Earnhardt, died right after Christmas Day at ninety one years old there in Kannapolis, North Carolina. So uh, rest in peace there to the the Earnhardt family, the the Wood brothers uh, uh, the Wood brothers family, the, the oldest family in NASCAR maybe besides the Petties, i They probably have an arm wrestling battle over that. They they had actually already lost Bernice Wood earlier this year, and then Nancy Wood, Lynn's wife, she just passed away from colon cancer in her early 60s. And then we also can't forget, too, that Bob Keselowski, Brad and Brian Keselowski's father, who raced for a long time in the ARCA series and some of the trucks and owned the family team. Bob Keselowski just passed away after a battle with cancer as well. Um, Well before his time, too. It wasn't like he was an old, old man. And then then finally, and this is one that maybe not as many people know, but someone I saw around the media center, and Dan, you may remember him, too, Hill Overton who uh, worked for a small radio station in North Carolina but had a racing show literally for over 50 years and was just a fixture fixture in the media center, especially at the Charlotte races. He only missed two Coca-Cola 600s ever, going back to 1960, but Hill Overton just passed away, too. He was in his 80s, so rest in peace to all of them. And, Dan, I'm sure you uh, interacted with some of the people I've just mentioned there, so uh, and I know we have heavy hearts anytime you get to the end of the year and you think about who passed, but certainly all of these people dying right around the holiday season.
2: Yeah, and for us, close to home here was, was the Pison of Bud Lunsford. And, oh, um, goodness, yeah. Bud had, Bud had done several racetracks, and the most notable, probably the one over there across from Road Atlanta. So you and and his history of, Lord have mercy. I think he probably I think he won what over twelve hundred short track races in his career.
1: I'm I'm checking that out right now. Gosh, yeah.
2: Yeah. What a what a history there and um and uh all of his endeavors, be it either in the car or out of the car, and what it did and how it influenced the sport. You know, for us locally, is is just as big as anything else that that anybody does on a, on a larger level. Because, as as I always said, you know, he's a he was a big fish in a small pond here, and and will definitely be missed.
0: Um,
1: for sure, gosh, I'm just looking at you, 86 years old. He died uh, actually the day we recorded last on December 8th or uh, right around there, and he won 1,139 races. as a driver 1,139 races that's incredible huh
2: that is incredible and um in the time that it was done in you know because you didn't have the media coverage locally you, you know it was you grew up with that because he was so much a part of the Controversial, not controversial, but you always want to have uh, drivers that go head to head that you pull for and seem like he was always one of the drivers that if if you were a big GM fan, he was GM. And then you had other drivers that were forward and you had the, the controversies that made up the fact that you had such large crowds at a lot of the short track races was coming to see their driver and pull for their driver. And you probably were pulling for Ford or you were pulling for Chevrolet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that seemed to mean a lot more in those times or for sure in past years, even yep. maybe up till the eighties or nineties than it, than it has in the 21st yeah, then century. Whatever reason.
2: Yep. All the cars, all the cars now are, are so look alike. And, and there is where, as far as being a purist that you will, you would love to go back to kind of the way it was, but you're right. I don't know that, that models or makes makes that much difference anymore. Mo, right. And, and the they driver. changed
1: so much too on the street. I mean, we're not just talking about NASCAR. They, it seems like the legacy the fact that the thing now is to bring back the eighties and nineties models that were discontinued and more recently, like four bringing back the Bronco or Chevy bringing back the blazer. It seems like, Hey, you're harkening back to the recent past by bringing stuff back and 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 certain uh, chains or models just kind of go by the wayside there with, the, you know, the Ford Escape has been around for however long. And I, I think it's already been, if I'm not mistaken, replaced by the Bronco, which I think is what the Escape replaced. Right. It's weird how it goes. So yeah. for sure. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining today there and, and for bringing Bud's name up, too. Uh, I should have had that uh, t- tops on the list, considering that he's in the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame, among other things. So uh, thank you for that. And any any parting shots here before we sail off into the next year? No, just uh, look forward to, to, to seeing more of the
2: progression of the Gen 7 car and um, less progression of the COVID virus. I want to see that go away.
1: Absolutely. Well, the, I, I completely agree on both of those. I'm excited to see what the next year holds and a, a lot of big changes in the sport. A lot of the ones you expect each year with drivers changing seats to the the overall of the Bush clash of the Coliseum. And then and then looking at the development, too, of where the Nashville fairgrounds comes into play and what what happens with the, the Nashville area probably having two races soon and how that affects the rest of the schedule. The Cup Series racing at Gateway, all this different stuff. And not to mention the fact that we're in the uh, the twilight of the career of one of the greatest drivers of our era, Kevin Harvick, who's running potentially the last two years of his cup career, though that hasn't been announced, and Kurt Busch, too. So see if they, if they can squeeze out and stay relevant here as they reach their mid-40s. So that that's all going to be fun to follow, and we'll definitely be doing that here on the Five to Go podcast. Before we get going uh, into in the 2022 racing season, I do want to get... And I haven't decided who it will be yet, but somebody that's driven that next-gen car and get them on here to talk a little bit about it and, and break some things down. Uh, David Reagan's a big friend of the uh, podcast and friend of ours, and, and, you know, you you talk to him and his dad some there, Dan, and, I mean, Dave has Dave d- done test driving for Ford behind the scenes but whether it's him or somebody that's still racing full-time we'd love to get them on and not to mention some other drivers too and kind of get ready to preview the season so we'll do that for you coming in 2022 where we bring back eric von Hessler as well but we want you all to have a safe and happy new year so hope you had a happy holiday so far and for dan elliot i'm doug turnbull thank you so much for listening to the five to go racing podcast god bless and here's to a great 2022